like it. You know, I'm really happy to have you here. I uh, listen. I if you're involved, I know it's cool and fun and all those things. Keep, so keep it coming. Keep it coming. Is this like? Are we on? Like this is real. <laughs> Dr. Jane, welcome to the Carrie Croft Show. And this is a Thank real you. start. This is not a fake social media start. Oh, I think I peaked early. How do I? <laughs> Most men do, don't That's... they? <laughs> we'll get to that. What a great start to this interview. Where it's all, all, all Oh, cute. this is going to be real good. Real good. How do I look, first of all? You look amazing. Like Better. scale of 1 to 10? Well, you, normally you're at a 10, but we'll go at 9 be, only because you had that little the allergic situa- reaction the thing. The situation. Well, you know. You can't always be a 10. You can't always be a 10. But you're a 10. No, I'm not you're a 10. A to- yes, you are. You're a total 10. Are you kidding me? No, it depends. It's all in the mind. It's all in the mind. So, Dr. Jane, you are kind of a local celebrity. Let's be honest. I would not say I'm a celebrity. I think I'm just a guy who likes what, lucky to like what I do and have yeah. a lot of great patients like you. Yes. Can we say really, that? Did a, I just break HIPAA? I think I uh, You know HIPAA. what? We How about this? We can break HIPAA because okay. I have you on here as my fertility specialist. Okay. That's Sorry. Why you're on here, right? Well, I mean, that's how we know each other. So, yeah. Yes. Screw HIPAA. That's like the only way a guy like me would ever get to know someone like you. Oh, this, you know what? It, would, it, would, it wouldn't be like a social, like, oh, yeah, he's friends with so-and-so. No. I don't I know, know, because you are ca- coolness about you, for well, sure. you know, it took many years to hone to dorkiness the- and nerdiness <laughs> into a, you know, it, it evolves with time. Well, listen, so for those those people out there, I brought you in here because you were my fertility doctor, right? And you and I have, we've been through it together, haven't we? Yeah, my, I have been through the ringer. You're a tough, tough cookie. You're telling me, you but know. it's perseverance, right? And relentless pursuit of your goal. And, yes. and uh, sometimes it leads to green pastures. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like you went through a lot of stuff before we met. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was a little greener. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and mainly because again, you you just you have a way to you're you're a, you're a very very strong person. Well, so. thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So my first question for you is when did you know that it was your life's work to work with vagines? <laughs> women's vagines. You know what I was thinking too? What? When I was thinking about this question, I was like, how many words can I think of to describe a vagina that aren't derogatory? So like vagine Hoo-ha. Yes. Vag. <laughs> Are there any others that aren't like derogatory? There's one that my look, he's already he's already getting nervous. <laughs> no, see, this is so good. We'll please. see if he can really hang. We'll see if Dr. <laughs> Jane can hang with, with, with the, the Carrie Cross show. My best friend's mom used to call it a potty shame. Oh. And it's funny, I think wow. it was like a family name, but then I said to her, I was like, Well, TT, why wouldn't we call it potty proud? And this is when we were younger. Yeah. So we've got the potty shame. Any, can you think of one other one? Um, Add in just one that's not derogatory, just like a a nice, friendly oh gosh, name for a vagina. Yeah, I, there really aren't that many, are there? I mean, you know, in the office you use official terms like vagina. What, what mean, other terms? I, yeah, I mean that's really the only term to use. Um, outside of the office, I try not to talk about it. Well, this is you're probably so sick of vaginas. So you know people say that and it's like you're so focused on your work that it's you don't even look at it as that well you know what i started thinking about because i've had a lot of time in these offices a lot of time yeah right i mean you know you you would come in and i'd have one i'd have the one pant leg on with my wife this story (laughs) with the shoe like i i I had mastered the art of being in and out of these doctor's offices but i would get to thinking and i'm like Man, Dr. J and Dr. Shepard, you know, Shep Dog, she's coming in. Like, yes. how many vaginas are you looking at? But then I got to the point where I'm like, okay, they're not even looking. No. There's a sheet. Yes. That's the point. He probably hasn't really seen a vagina. No. He, you don't even look at it. It's just my sick, twisted it's, brain. Well, because you're you're usually thinking about, like, what you have to do, right? Now, in Dr. Shepard's case, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but, you know, when she's seeing someone for an annual exam... She has to take like a look. This right? is true. It's only, you know, the breast exam, everything, right? So she's probably seeing more than than someone like me who I'm really focused on. Oh, I got to get this embryo transfer catheter. Oh, we're doing an egg retrieval, right? Or if you're doing an ultrasound, you know, as you know, yeah. it's literally the room is darkened. You just go in and put the probe in, right? So I think someone like, uh, you know, doc, you know, like Dr. Shepard or General Bajuan, they... They tend to see more, uh, you know. She's judged vagina. the JJ for sure. I'm, that's my yes. first. I'm going to put her on. The first question is, how many are you judging me 
as we're sitting here. Wow. Yeah. On what my vagina looks like. So, uh, you know, obviously she is an amazing person. I don't think she ever judges anything. Mm. Um, but well. I think, but but I would say like, if there's someone, uh, or you know, an OBGYN could certainly, for lack of a better term, judge uh, or assess, maybe a better word. We're going to have to see. Yeah. Um, okay, so you know, fertility doc. Let, let, let me let me move out of my sick, twisted world that I just <laughs> this is just this baseline for me, and let's seriously go into wh- what when did you make this decision? So you're in, was, is it kind of how it works in med school where because I watched mm-hmm, my my sister mm-hmm. Caitlin how yes. this all goes down. It's like you're trying to figure out based on like yeah. quality of life, how much money you're going to make, the altruism. You put it all in a thing, and you're like, and then and how smart you are, right? Yes. And how what you're going to get yeah. into, yeah. and then you kind of end up. Mm-hmm. Is that how it works? You know, uh, it, I think people are different. Everyone's different. Some people have a plan. So sometimes I'll, I'll have a med student ask to do a rotation with me, and I'm like, you're a medical student. You're like, you know, T minus seven, eight years from this point. Um, but some people are already thinking of it. I'm one of those people that I just happen to not even know. I didn't have a – there was no navigation I'm just driving along and I just happen to make some turns and somehow you just end up in what turned out to be the perfect place for you. So um, only because you asked the question, yeah. I'll tell you a funny story. Yeah. So, you know, I was very young going through school. So I graduated high school at 17 and I went to a six-year med program. So I finished college at 19, med school at 23, right? So when I was in medical school, I was literally 21, 22 when you have to decide what your focus is going to be. I was not in a mature place in my life to think about what do I want 20, 30 years down the road, right? So never mind, five years down the road. So I'm like, well, I want to do something that, you know, is surgical because I enjoyed that. And I really like sports. So I was really into orthopedic surgery initially, except the smell of bone in surgery, especially when you're cutting it, right? It, I mean, it was like overwhelming for me. And I remember talking to one of my I guess, friends who was an orthopedic resident there. And and he's like, uh, dude, this is what it is like all day long. If you can't, if you don't like that, like if you don't want that, it's like a carpenter not liking the, the smell of cut wood or a, or a landscaper not, not liking the smell of freshly cut grass, right? Or having allergies or something. I'm like, you okay. So it was hard for me to step away from that. But, you know, OBGYN offers procedures and surgeries, but you're also like, you know, dealing with patients. And I still remember my, uh, my, my advisor in medical school, a wonderful woman, she said, uh, I just want you to know that you are going to give up seeing 50% of the population. You will never see a male patient. You'll only see female. And until she said, I'm like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Right. But then I'm like, well, most patients are women anyway, no matter what field you're in, I feel like, except maybe urology or something, right? So um, I, you know, that it took me a second to think, but there's not much time to think. You only have like literally a matter of six months of thinking time in medical school when you, in terms of access to like, I want to check this out or check that out, maybe a year max. So I applied to OBGYN and got in, right? And I thought OBGYN was so great. And I was, it was kind of strange because the only male resident in my class of seven residents in a program of 28, I was one of two, I think no, three my first year, two my second year, and then eventually remained two the whole way. Um, but uh, I thought I'd just be a general BGYN. I thought I could be someone who's maybe a fraction of how great Dr. Shepard is. Let's put it that way. Right? I was just like, I think this is great. My second year, I went in for a delivery and delivered a 10-pound baby that literally... I still don't know how this even came to pass safely. And I remember like my pulse was high because such a hard delivery, vaginal birth, on a patient who refused IV, refused everything. So it was like this or nothing. Like there was no backup plan. And I literally walked into this, never even had met this patient, right? Um, Very, just it was a very scary Saturday morning, I remember. And I remember... An hour after the delivery, I called my brother, who's sort of the person that I look to for guidance and stuff and advice. He's my older brother. I'm like, remember what I was telling you, I was thinking about fertility? Yeah, I think I'm just going to do the fertility thing. And, and I didn't know much about it at the time. I'd never even done a fertility rotation at the time. I just kind of knew there was a few options in OBGYN. So, and it was the hardest at that time fellowship to get. So I'm like, well, why not? I'll just give it a shot, you know, whatever. Um, and it worked out. So... 
you know, to answer your question in a very long way, and I apologize for what what like leads someone to do this. Yeah, it's um, sometimes you just you, you try something, you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. You know, it's super scientific, cutting edge. What I never realized at the time, because I was too young and immature to really appreciate it, but now is the main thing that drives me is you just get so attached to people. You know them for a small amount of time in their entire life, but in that small time of attachment, you, I mean, you do something that mm-hmm. that's with them forever, right? It's, and then, and, and so you never realized that as a, back then, a 24-year-old, right? Thinking about this decision, 25-year-old when I was applying. Um, now I look back, it's not about the science or any of that stuff. It's about those relationships and those memories and, and, and also the fact that, you know, as, as you know, you go through a cycle, there's an outcome. So it's almost like you get a report card like constantly, mm-hmm. right? Whereas let's say, let's use the orthopedic example. Let's say I was a decent orthopedist, right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the, you know, I'm not head of blah, blah, blah. I'm just a regular good orthopedist. I'm not taking care of professional athletes. I'm just taking care of regular people, right? Like, you know, 40-something-year-old guy tears his meniscus. Well, you, fis- you fix it. As long as they're walking and jogging in, job well done, right? Like there's a big, um, whatever the difference is between doing a not great job and perfection, there's a huge gray area in all of medicine if you think about it. But in our field, it's got to be either perfect or it's nothing. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, hey, you had a miscarriage. I, I tried it, did a good job. It's like, no, that's terrible. Like, in fact, one of the reasons I was a little bit late today is I had to give someone bad news about a potential miscarriage, right? So that that appointment went longer than mm-hmm. normally it would when it was normally it's good news, right? Um, so I, I think um, when you deal with, a, when you're dealing with people in them fortunate you know, when you see a lot of patients, but as you go through like these names of patients in your memory and you're like, oh my God, yeah, they had a baby. Oh, they came back for baby two or baby three, right? Like it just stays with you. It stays with me, you know, as as, I, as now these kids are growing up. It's my 16th year out. So somewhere out there, I have a few babies getting their driver's license this Man, year, that right? Amazing. That's pretty amazing. Like crazy for me, right? So were you the second fertility um, clinic in Columbus? Yes. That's so, crazy to me. Yeah. I mean, so you, you actually were in it at an interesting time too. I mean, for, I feel like fertility has just like, I don't know if it's, I, I get same sex marriage has got to be a huge part of it. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, or more people, heterosexual couples are, are infertile. I don't know what it is, or maybe people are like going seeking treatment earlier or now that you can find out the sex, some people are doing it when they don't really have to do it, which, okay, great. Um, but you were the second clinic in Columbus, and you just blew it up. I've been in Columbus for ten years. Our our office has actually been here, I think, for about fifteen years. But you know, it was really after I came that we had a steady presence the whole time. My partners, who were mainly up in Akron, they were they were sort of supporting this office. But I think um, you know the other group has been around for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. They for twenty five plus years, I'm sure. Um, you know, there's some older docs in the group, some young, some younger docs too. Um, but I think that um, you know, in but your question is a very good one. Like fertility, the the comment you made about fertility blowing up, they've actually been saying that now for like the last fifteen years. Like, oh, fertility is blowing up, and and the thing is, it, it's blowing up in the sense that it's, there's always more and more of it. Mm-hmm. Sadly, it's almost like saying, is cancer blowing up? You can say with earlier detection, um, there's more cancer that we find as physicians, right? Yeah. Um, but also faster and better treatment. So the survival is more, right? So you have more cancer survivors now than you certainly did ever. With fertility, I think it's several, I think all those things you mentioned, by the way, a wonderful job, Carrie, for you, maybe you get some potential there as a you know, fertility counselor. If you or something, need, right? Hey, if you need, if you need some kind of commercial over here, I'm your girl. <laughs> I, Whatever you need. I feel like you're the kind of person I come to for anything. Pretty much a jack of all trades, master anything. of none. Yes. That's me. Well, I think you master a lot of things. I'm looking around the studio. It's pretty, you mastered this thing pretty well. Um, but, you know, uh, I think awareness obviously is huge, right? I think there was a time when things were a little more taboo with fertility, where I think now it's so common. I mean, in groups of friends, we see it all the time, right? Like, Thank God, though. 
Yes. Not, not that it, not that people have it, but Correct. that people aren't feeling like they're in some weird, you know, land of the misfit toys. Yes. And it's that that's a horrible feeling. Well, I think it's a horrible feeling for that person or that couple because it's something that shouldn't it, it's the most natural thing of any species. Right. Um, it's something that people have done a trillion times over again successfully and it's like, why is it that I have, sorry, I keep doing that. Okay. So why is it that I have such a hard time getting pregnant when all these other people, all these relatives, friends, right? People mm-hmm. younger than me, people older than me, whatever. Um, so I think in that sense, it, it for some people, it could be an isolating feeling. But I think as people tend to talk about it more and talk to their friends about it more, it's amazing how, how many people have struggled, right? But to your point, sometimes it's not always a struggle. Sometimes the struggle is, oh, I have three boys. I really want to have a girl or, you know, I have two, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Um, same sex couples. I mean, I don't think it's a struggle if two women get married. But yes, having a baby can be hard because you're missing that one other factor. Um, luckily, you know, there's treatments for all this stuff, right? So at the end of the day, the goal is that everyone gets what they want. Uh, everyone gets the, the life that they want from this intervention, you know, call it what you want. Um, but I think, you know, but that's all a part of the growth of our field and the growth of patients being, you know, intelligent, well-informed. I feel like most of my patients kind of have an idea about what's going to happen at the first visit now, whereas before it was like, you know, trying to even spell IVF was like, whoa, you know, what is that? Right. Everyone pretty much knows now, you know, um, and if they don't, it's fine, right? But but I think that it just goes to show the level of awareness that people have. Now you've got to be rolling in the dough over there. <laughs> like where Wait. where is for where and don't don't let's not you know put smoke and mirrors. I want I want you to just be straight with me here because <laughs> fertility like you gotta like those those are real expensive treatments, and it's okay you you you've earned it. But where is that? In terms of like, you know, dermatology is like, oh, they're going to make bank and they have a great lifestyle. Like I've learned a little bit about kind of like the different fields just from my sister. Sure. Where is the infertility specialist on that realm of like, oh, they're going to make bank, man. But the (laughs) where is that? It's got to be up there. I mean, listen, in the grand scheme of all jobs you can do, it's obviously way up there. Just like any kind of physician would be. No, 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 you're doing that. I mean, but it's it's a lot, right? (laughs) I mean, it's good. It's a good like it's there's good money there. Yes. There's good uh, cheese. I, I don't think any fertility doctor should ever complain okay. about their income. Now, sometimes we feel like we should be making more because we, one of our colleagues is doing less and making more, blah, blah, blah. Oh, that, well, all, right. all that stuff, you right? Get Grass is greener kind of mm-hmm. stuff, right? We're keeping yeah. up Jones, whatever the word is. Um, but I think, uh, you know, I think all doctors work hard no matter yeah. what field you're in, right? I used to joke, radiologists, how are you? You sit around a room, like, you know, sip coffee and whatever. When I talk to my friends who are radiologists, they're like, yeah, I just did like eight hours and I couldn't even get up to pee because I had so many films to look at. And I can see how every field has its own way of, you know, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you might sit here and talk to someone as a psychiatrist, but I think even talking to people over time can be exhausting, right? Like when I do telemedicine, I find I'm more exhausted after four hours of telemed than running around the office for four hours, you know, doing procedures and ultrasounds and stuff, right? But, um, you can see I'm trying really yeah, hard not are. to answer this You question. are. No, you next yeah. thing I was like, give me, give me your, I want to see your W-2. Let me see what's going on. Well. No, do you, do you have an indulgence? Like, you got those Gucci slides at home? Like. You know, I, so what, I'll tell you a funny story about yeah. Gucci slides. Mm-hmm. So, you know, listen, we all like nice things, right? Yeah, but I'm just curious. But, I want to know what well, Dr. Jane wears when he, like, rolls I'm, out. Yeah, I am the most boring uh, whatever person there is. I've had a couple of cars that I thought were nice, but when I compared them like other people, it's like, whatever, dude. Um, <laughs> so it's so funny. I have a patient. Um, uh, she's had a couple of kids now, but she, uh, I remember one time, so I come in to do the ultrasound, and as I'm doing it, something in the corner of the room catches my eye. I thought it was like a small Pomeranian or something like that, right? And it was Pomeranian? Well, yeah, I, I thought it was like a. F- they What's were, a Pomeranian? What, what are the palms? What are those dogs? The little the ones? Pomer- the furry. I think it's a Pomeranian. What did I say? Pomeranian. Oh. That's amazing. I'm not I'm editing s- I'm that. I'm nervous. I'm not editing that. I should have taken the shot that you offered me. <laughs> I don't have to work anymore today. I probably could have done it. You know, it's fine. <laughs> 
it. Keep, keep it moving. Okay. So anyway, in the corner, <laughs> there's this furry thing. And so it like catches my eye. And, you know, I finish it. So I'm like, I'm sorry. It, you know, she asked me a couple of questions. Whatever. I'm like, okay, by the way, what is that? And she's like, Dr. Jane, you don't know Gucci's? And I'm like, uh, I looks like a furry pet. And she goes, those are my shoes. And it was like, a, I remember it was like a rainy, slushy day out. So I'm thinking like, don't those get dirty? Like if I'm going to go drop God, what a thousand, thousand bucks on a pair of shoes, like I'm not wearing them unless if it's like perfect that, right? But anyway, so yes, I don't, uh, I do, I do not have anything super fancy. I, I wear like an Adidas Stan Smith or whatever on clouds, which every dad wears now, right? Mm-hmm. Like the best walking shoes yeah. or something. Not, nothing real fancy. You don't I'm need anything right, like, when you're I, this handsome. You don't need anything fancy. Oh my fancy. gosh, you that know was, what I'm saying? That was not an, uh, that's I was that was an unexpected compliment, which I totally appreciate. Good. Was, I don't and give them. I don't I'm, give them unless they're true. I'm the most handsome man in this room right now. You are. You have that title. <laughs> you absolutely. <laughs> so how? Uh, I want to. I want to talk about what you're seeing in the office. So the uh, idea of an older mom, I'm sure, is. I mean, that has to just be like a ton of your your clients, right? You're seeing a lot of women, and we call them geriatric, which someone please find another name, please. I know. Um, like moi, do you see a t- like what's the percentage right now of? Let's do this just in your like you know yeah. back of the n- napkin math. Sure. So same sex couple, mm-hmm. uh, woman over forty trying to get pregnant, and then just unexplained any age heterosexual infertility what's yeah. the what's the ratio of who how you're like who you're seeing yeah so uh, i have to make up uh, we'll have to make sure this all adds up to 100 here but in the order <laughs> let me that, get my calculator out <laughs> so you know in terms of unexplained that's probably like 45 percent of the patients we see meaning Everything's generally normal in terms of sperm. Everything's generally normal in terms of ovulation. Like they get monthly periods, right? I know every a lot of patients like to split hairs on, oh, it was 28 days this month and 29 days or 30, you know, as long as it's pretty monthly, within 40 days, normal, right? Um, and then, so, th- so that's ovulation, right? And then fallopian tubes being normal. So in our general, you know, suburban population that I see, you know, um, it's probably about 45% unexplained. In terms of like strictly male factor, right? So that's probably a good another maybe 15 to 20%, I think. Um, and then, you know, block tubes or things like that, like a strictly female phenomenon. Um, block tubes are pretty less, maybe like 5 to 10% max. More than anything, and, and sort of overlaps a little bit with that unexplained, is diminished ovarian reserve. So women whose ovaries are acting older than their age, and sometimes you have women who might be a little bit older, but very well put together like you are, and they look really young. It's very hard to come to terms with the fact that I've done so much to take care of myself, but my darn ovaries are acting my age or older, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably the, the toughest thing to, to work with because really that's, that's, those are your resources, right? Is what do you have for eggs, right? Um, in terms of same-sex couples, um, it's probably about five five to seven percent, which is, you know, we, we see a fair number, but it's in the general fertility population, it's still overwhelmingly, uh, you know, heterosexual couples. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously that same-sex couple number has grown just so quickly over the years before it was like maybe one you might see a month or whatever, and now it's several a week, which, you know, that's the, that's the sign of progress, right? Um so I think that kind of breaks it down in terms of really the main causes, yeah. Do you find yourself, especially in those initial consultations, being um, sort of like a, a therapist too? I mean, do people just, I can imagine people are, not everyone, but I bet you there's a lot of people who are struggling with their relationship at that point, struggling with functioning as a normal human. I mean, mm-hmm. infertility can really take you down. Yeah. So by the time they get to you, you're kind of this like, oh my God, he's gonna he's gonna fix this. He's gonna make this all better. So when you when they walk in and you're at your desk, you probably feel a huge responsibility. But do you see a lot of emotion? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think it's an emotional field, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think um, 
I think my, no, speaking for myself, my emotion comes in as you get like to the outcome. Because that's really the part that I affect, right? Or, or, or my, I shouldn't say just me. We as my office and the people that I work with, that's what we're working towards, right? People do often come in with, you know, tremendous, I don't want to say baggage, but emotional wear and tear because they've been, in, and everyone's different, right? Some people come in with, with a history like, oh my God, how did this patient even survive that? You know, delivered a baby that died at birth, right? Like, you know, how do you weigh that compared to someone who well, has been trying for a year and just hasn't gotten pregnant or someone who, and, and if you talk to the person who's been trying for a year and who's otherwise made everything else in their life so perfect, that's a huge deal, mm-hmm. right? It's not fair to compare that to like, well, you know, I just saw a lady who had a miscarriage, <laughs> no. uh, you know, at 22 weeks no. and, you know, whatever, and got to physically see, unfortunately, this this unlive baby that she delivered. Like, those are terrible things that we wouldn't wish upon anyone. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, it's like everything in life, right? It's relative, but when it's us, it's the most important thing. So I think... You know, when I see new patients, and I'm, and I'm sure I'm different today than I was 15 years ago, right? But just because you change as a person. Um, I think I, I certainly respect the emotional aspect of it, but I also feel like I have a job to do, right? Which is I have to get this couple, their family. And by the way, it's not just getting pregnant because that's that's true. It's pregnant, but you also have to think about long term. So today I happen to speak to a 35-year-old who's got fairly low but not terrible ovarian reserve. They've never been pregnant before. They've been married for like a year, and they really want to have two to three kids, right? So can we get them to one baby? Probably pretty easily. Maybe in an IUI or intrauterine insemination that might work. Um, but when she comes back at 37 for baby two, or if we got lucky then 39 for baby three, it's probably not going to work. And if that, and the difference of this patient and this couple feeling like they've totally achieved what they wanted to achieve is having two or three kids versus one kid, I feel like I failed them if I didn't get help them get what they wanted within, within some scope of reality, right? Now, if you see a 46-year-old who comes in and wants to have three children – that's there's a time there that you just you probably won't even get to one without let's say donor mm-hmm. eggs in that patient right so i think when you meet someone yes they bring a level of emotion to it your job as a fertility doctor is to obviously you know to accept that but to also what can you do to set you know a plan and expectations that this couple can sort of take that information process you know, this is what it means for them and this is what they'll be able to achieve, right? I mean, Speaking of the 35-year-old that has low ovarian reserve, would you do IVF immediately to try to pull eggs out to get the I, best? I think, I think in modern-day fertility, you have to at least consider and offer that. I don't think you can, I don't think I can say, oh, well, they haven't even done anything yet, so we're not even going to talk about it. No, I think, I think it's my job to bring that up and say, listen, let's plan this out. Let's see how this plays out. Because, and and especially now at this point in my career, you've seen all of these scenarios Mm -hmm. play out, right? When you tell a 40 year old, okay, we have one genetically normal embryo, it's going to probably give you 80% chance we'll have a baby from it, but that's it. Are you okay with that? And if they say, oh, yeah, we're just happy to have one, we'll figure out the other stuff later. There is usually no later because if you come back at 42 and and you're already, let's say, low now that you only were able to have one genetic normal embryo, what's the chances at 42 where 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 the chance of normal embryos goes down, you know, from let's say 25% to 20, 15 to 20% in those two years, right? It's a big drop. Um, and so for that, you know, I'm talking per yeah. embryo here, right? So for that patient, I'll say, listen, we, if you want to have two kids, we either have to do IVF again and, you know, save this embryo, get another one, or we need to, you know, just be happy with one, right? So f- for this 35-year-old that we're talking about, um, I would say if you really feel that you need two to three kids to be happy, you almost have to do IVF. Unless if you just get really lucky now and you can come back in two years and we can either do IVF then or we can try and get lucky again. And then maybe at that point, you're just happy with two kids. And the other thing is, the truth is, we don't know what we really want until we have at least one baby. I find that people who say they're only that they're happy with one kid often really are the ones who really want to have a second kid after having had one. And I feel that people sometimes who want to have three or four kids after having one 
or sometimes just happy with two, right? So sometimes because we change, we change and help. Well, then once you finally have the kid, and you're like, holy shit! <laughs> like then you're like, whoa, three kids? What? I mean, that's I like you know, insane asylum. I know. Uh, random question: What is the most like? What is the most eggs you've ever gotten out of one retrieval? Like, is there one that stands out where you were yes. like, holy shit? So there's actually there's three. There's okay. Three. Yeah. So one was back in Jersey. Where I had, I think it was 74 eggs retrieved. And she's polycystic. She had a lot, right? Um, so we knew, we knew we'd get, okay. So the things, when you go into that, you don't go in saying, I'm going to get 72 eggs, 74 eggs. You go in thinking there's a lot of eggs. And because you can't really count each one because the way an ovary is on ultrasound, right? They're all kind of mushed together. But were they um, all good eggs? They weren't no, all good eggs. No, they weren't. But she probably could have had like 10 kids from that. Um, but what's, you know, since this is a relaxed show, I'll tell you, <laughs> since coming to Ohio in the last 10 years, um, I've had two patients. The, the two highest numbers I've gotten were both 69. <laughs> I honestly believe that my embryologists were like, I bet you there's like 72, but they're like, no, we just got 69. We stopped counting. Because because here's the thing. How can That's that funny. happen twice over the course of this happened over like a four year span and it happens to be 69. So, OK, it's crazy to me. <laughs> so but you OK, so you do ultrasound. So like she knows it's coming that there's a lot of eggs. Yeah, but, but, but the, nobody expects that. Many. But like you're like, whoop, whoop. I mean, most women are like, yeah, I, I pr both those procedures. I'm like probably 30. But you know, so one lady actually came from uh like I'll just say it. I won't name this a city in the Pacific Northwest. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, so she came uh, through word of mouth. She'd failed several IVF cycles because actually her problem was her AMH, a test for ovarian reserve, was I think like 42 or 43. It was really high. And every other person, every other pa every other doctor who tried to stimulate her for IVF would either overdo it or try and be too controlled and they weren't getting enough eggs. So through word of mouth, I think she'd done two retrievals in the past, canceled a few also, came here. Um, she's now already had her second kid from this original cycle, but this is one of the 69 egg patients. And um, I mean, she had so many embryos. We only tested, I think, eight. That's all we needed. And there was half of those were normal and two of those are babies now, right? But I think, you know, you don't go into it thinking, this is what I'm going to do, right? Like, I, I I don't think you can possibly do that. Remember, and you don't gain anything by getting that many. No, no, like, no. Like, it's not, it's not a badge I wear. Probably, oh, I got six, I got 74. Because that means you probably, the truth is you probably could have done the same with a lot less. It's just hard to kind of control it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's just that's just like an outlier. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's yeah, yeah. it's an anomaly. It is. It is. Because most women, you know, when you look on the you know on the Google machine and yeah. you're looking in the forums and stuff, you know, yes, that it like if you're getting ten eggs, yeah. you are mother Probably hen. You've you've done it. You've yeah. arrived. Sure, depending on how old you are, ten is plenty, right? Um, and obviously, if you're older, then sometimes twenty is not enough. So, I think a lot of it is. Uh, and you already know who's going to give you a lot versus very little, right? This is all things as a doctor you're already sort of expecting, right? So, um, yeah. So are there, um, what it seems to me is like it, there's such a mystery behind getting pregnant, obviously. It's like, oh, it's a miracle that it ever happens. And like, obviously you can't see anything. Correct. Because it's microscopic and it's inside your body. Like, what are the advancements being made right now that we're going to see in 20 years are there any more like are there so, yeah i mean there's been some advancements obviously um from a natural fertility standpoint there's been very little in fact we're probably worse today at natural pregnancy than we were 10 years 20 years ago right we're in our parents generation 30 years ago um we're just who knows why environmentally or you know it's also the thought that if your parents needed fertility treatment to have you there's a greater likelihood you may need fertility treatment to have your own kids not always but it's something that could be a genetic thing that we can't really identify right and and you know for instance we have what 50 to 60,000 IVF babies a year in this country maybe more now it's probably a stat from like five years ago um I mean, all of those people are going to go on to have children, and that's more 
fertility, uh, it's more fertility babies that are probably going to become fertility patients. So if you are going to buy stock in a field that you think may increase in volume, unfortunately, for lack of a better term, it'll probably be fertility more than anything, right? Because we're, it's just one of those things where you can't, you can treat the problem. It's very hard to say we can prevent the problem. So like, you know, we'll see young ladies that are planning, let's say some, something that's going to take a significant amount of time, you know, let's say career wise or something, right? Um, you know, a third year out of law school wants to, you know, make partner in her practice and it's going to be a decade of just doing it, right? Just working hard for, you know, no time for anything, um, especially in terms of having kids for that person. Unfortunately, they may choose to freeze eggs, right? So that's someone who would have been a fertility patient who is kind of fertility patient in terms of freezing eggs, but will hopefully find great success in the future as a result of that. So Speaking of that, yeah, um, I really love that that women are talking about this now as like an insurance policy. I mean, I, I never even had, that wasn't even a glimmer in my eye when I was that age. Right. Yeah. And so I think now, and again, there's still cost to it. It's still scary to think about shooting yourself up with hormones. Um, it's still not the norm, but I do believe that, that women should understand that that is something they can do because I mean, you know, again, like you end up, life goes by fast and next thing you know, you're like, oh, I froze my eggs. Like, how great is that? How how much of that are you seeing? More and more. Um, I think we, I mean, I do egg freeze consults regularly now, whereas before it was like maybe once a month or once every couple of weeks or so. Um, so what's great about egg freezing is, you know, we have to be careful not to, we don't want to call it an insurance policy. Okay. Because that implies, like, insurance, you expect when you need it, it pays out, for lack of a Got better it. term, right? Like, we, no one would get a car insurance policy that maybe, maybe not covers you if you get into an accident. Right, like, okay. You know, right? So I think um, depending on – so today I did a, an egg freeze consult on a 39-year-old um, who I have no idea. It was a telemedicine, so I told her – let's. I'm actually going to see her back in a couple of days um, in, in the office this time. We'll do an ultrasound and blood test. We'll know immediately where her ovarian reserve is. And that's when I can really guide her as to, is this even worth it for you? Because when you think about embryos in a 39-year-old, 39-year-old egg embryos, right? Those are probably about, you know, like that 40-year-old, a 25% chance of being genetically normal. So to get to one embryo, I probably need at least two, at least two fertilized eggs. You figured you lose some along the way. So if you do the math, and this is how I usually explain it to patients, I always work backwards, right? So you think about like, okay, it's 25%, just like a 50-50 coin flip. Doesn't mean you're definitely going to catch heads on two flips. It could take five flips to get a head, but let's just play the percentages here. You need probably four blastocysts, day five embryos, 25% each to get a normal one in that patient. You probably need about eight eggs fertilized to feel pretty good about getting to that four. If you're younger, mm -hmm. maybe six or maybe six eggs, right? But let's say not 39 year old. So when I see her, I'm thinking, can I get eight mature eggs on this young lady, even give her a real chance, right? And there's a little bit of loss, as good of a job as I think we do in, in my office in terms of egg freezing, because so it is a very delicate process. It takes like 22 minutes to freeze an egg. So you can only imagine like, you know, the, the time intensive um, process it becomes and the level of detail you go into with each step of it, right, um, to do it well. So even in that situation, there's a little bit of a loss compared to fresh eggs. So if I'm going to freeze eggs on this 39-year-old, I want to feel like I can get at least 8 to 10 mature eggs from one IVF cycle. And if I can't, I mean, I'm going to tell her that. I'm like, listen, I'm, we might get five or six. You might have to do this twice. Is that something that you want to do? And if the answer is no, then, then, then I would say, okay, well, we could do it once. We may or may not have enough. You might feel good you have some, so some chance is better than no chance, but understand you are taking a bit of a risk here. And you know, again, as long as it's a conversation, as long as both parties understand what they're getting into, you know, there's very little overall risk to the process, really financial risk more than anything, right? But um, I think uh, a lot of that is just the conversation per patient. Like, for instance, I might see someone, um, you know, who's a, a resident, let's say a, a, a local uh, OB-GYN resident, we'll say, right? And uh, let's say she's single, 
doesn't know where she's going to be, blah, 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 when she gets her job, et cetera. She just wants to freeze eggs. She doesn't have to worry about it. But she's got, you know, a tremendous amount of ovarian reserve. That's a patient I, I might say, you could do it if you want. You're not going to regret it necessarily, but you're, you're, you're good here. You could probably wait a year or two. Maybe you're in a relationship. Maybe life changes, whatever. Maybe we revisit this in a year. And at that point, if you're in the same place, fine, we can freeze then. Um, and several, I can think of several people off the top of my head, they never needed to come back. They just got, they met someone, they decided that's the route they're going. Within a year and a half, they happen to get pregnant, right? Um, but I think at least looking into it makes a ton of sense. So you got me thinking when you started talking about the process and freezing the eggs and all that, man, like when you're in that situation as a intended parent yeah. and you got your embryos in the hands of this, like Dr. Jane and his Team fertility clinic, yeah, like yeah. my mind would go because then you name them, right? So my embryos are like Casey. <laughs> You know, KC5, KC6. Remember me texting you where I was like, yes. can you please make sure that this is the right now? I mean, because you're like, how do you know that like Dr. Jane didn't just drop one? Oh, and gosh, yeah. I, mean, I mean, of course you're not going to drop yes, one, but I'm yeah. saying, no, no, but how do you know that like this isn't somebody else's like, and you've seen yeah. these horror stories, uh, yeah. you know, so yeah. how do you, so not only that, where you see a horror story where this baby comes out, unfortunately, and it's just like not even looking like God, yes. that's one thing, but then like what, whatever that thing that was happening at Cleveland where Oh, the, the Umbro storage mishap. Oh, yeah, my God. Yeah. How do you do you have to have backup after backup yes. where yeah, you have to have checks and balance in place? Like it, and it's, and it's a pro, it's a very it's a tedious process, right? QA, QC in general, and no matter what field you're in, is a tedious, boring process. But that is why it is what it is. If it was an interesting process, that means you're failing in a lot of places that you need to troubleshoot when everything's fine. But you have to keep checking and keep checking. That's that's what prevents mishaps from happening. Uh, you know, obviously, I don't know the absolute details of what happened in Cleveland. Um, but And yes, we've all heard stories about the wrong embryo or blah, blah, blah. I mean, listen, these are human beings that are doing this. And all human beings are subject to some mistake here and there. But there are some mistakes you simply cannot make, right? So whatever the reason is... There's no reason. There's no excuse. So so we have checks and balance in place, and I'm lucky to have a really amazing staff of people that that, that they don't cut any corners, you know? Do you have any dreams where you wake up sweating that you, like, screwed something up really bad? Do you have any recurring, like, um, fertility doctor dreams? Not, like, screwing up stuff necessarily, but uh, <laughs> I have lots of dreams about I'm what sure. I do. I dream about what we do. Like, actually, I dream more about work than anything else. I can only imagine. I don't know why. I mean, I want to set the seed for people because it, it really, I'm going to give some imagery here because I've been, I've been in that room with you, I mean, how many times? Like, five or six times, two times yeah. with my surrogate. So we've been in that room together a lot. So you go in, you put the robe on, the hairnet, and this lovely lady, you know, brings you into this small room that looks like an exam room. Not quite like an O, maybe a mini OR, but not yeah, as like, small OR, you know, yeah. yeah. And then there's this, there's this window, like a drive up window that yes. you would have in this part. This uh, embryologist is on the other side of the wall and they lift it up and there they are. It's almost like you're getting a cheeseburger, but not, but not <laughs> a really important cheeseburger. Yeah. And then there's a, a TV screen up there. And then Dr. Jane rolls in, man, and he is like on one. You're on one. You are just like going and you're, you know, you're in your element, getting everything going. And then next thing you know, you get on the table, you put the catheter in, the screen pops up, there's an embryo. You have to repeat all your information. It's actually gives you chills when you're yeah, in there. Like, yeah. and I, I even asked the nurse, I'm like, do you feel this every single time? Because it is like, it's like no football game or any kind of competition you've ever experienced. I mean, it's like real life shit, right? So you're in there, you've got the catheter. And then what do you, you say? Like ready after, after we confirm yeah. that all, and then you say something. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you. So the embryologists, they, what they do is so they have their catheter. They have to go through a flushing process, right, to prime it. Um, so while they're doing that, they don't load the embryo into the catheter until I say I'm ready. So once I put my catheter in the uterus, 
lower cervix, uh, upper cervix, lower uterus in place, and I'll say I'm ready. But we're and we're usually fairly timed, so it's not like I'm sitting there and she hasn't even started or he hasn't started, right. where they're ready and I'm like still, you know, talking to you, talking to you yeah. about whatever, right? So um, it, we it's fairly well timed. You know, every now and then, like sometimes they're like, oh, I'm gonna have to reflush the catheter. We got a bubble. Okay, fine, whatever. I'm in place, or you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I think um, it's muscle memory. So, you, you know, anything that's muscle memory, you, you just do it. So, like, the whole cleaning process and everything, like, it just ha- – I don't even – if you said, hey, you did four transfers today, can you describe the cleaning of any of them? Or can you describe it? I'm like, I, if there's something really tough, I'll remember it. Most of the time, though, it's like muscle memory, um, which goes back to my point, right? Like, the science, the procedures, they're all meaningless in terms of the reasons why I went into the field to begin with. Now it's about, oh, my gosh, I have so-and-so. They have one normal embryo left. They have a baby from three years ago, two years ago, and this is it. If this fails, they're going to be the parents of one child, and that is all. There is no coming back because they have no eggs left, you know, whatever, no yeah. no options left. Um, so there is this tremendous amount of excitement, but call it pressure, oh, excitement, whatever it is, right? It's a big but you, game. But you feel like you got to make this work. Like this is not mm-hmm. the time to be like, Blah, 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 right? So you say, I'm ready. And then the embryologist walks out. Yes. They, they come through mm-hmm. the door with the actual yeah. embryo in the catheter. Uh-huh. And then they take off the outer sheath and they feed it through. So I do a pa- what's called a pass-through. Yeah. They pass through the catheter, which is already now, you know, through the vagina and cervix. So it's a very the clean vagine. entry. Vagine. <laughs> Vag, whatever, all these. We should, the we, hoo-ha? We should have listened. Say, say it, you say it, but then say it with hoo-ha. The no, hoo-ha. The, that it's now, that's now through the hoo-ha. It'd be really funny if you were being technical and you're just like, hoo-ha. and now the catheter's in the hoo-ha. You know hoo-ha. what? You remember, what's that scent of a woman, Al Pacino? Why do I have to take things down to just a seedy side alley? You're in the middle of something and I take it down. Yes, I have seen that. Yeah, it's a, he's, he's saying hoo-ha, right? Yeah. Well, now if I ever watch a movie again, gonna, I'm just like, Ugh. hoo-ha. <laughs> so then all, all I know, back to this beautiful imagery. So you say, and then you say, here it, you know, here it comes. See it? See it? And yes. it's literally this little light, like this yeah. little like soul. Like yeah. it's, oh. I could cry thinking about it. Oh, just yeah. It is unbelievable. And everybody just watches this thing start to drop slowly, yeah. slowly, slowly into your uterus. And everyone just is yeah. in this room witnessing. And for someone who's never experienced infertility or even had to deal with that, like that's like, wait, what? Yeah. Like it's truly unbelievable watching science meet this, you know, spirituality and the humanness and the the fragility of miracle of life. It is crazy. I still have all the videos. I have wow. Dane and Kyle on I mean all the like all the girls that you know Pat yeah. or, or Jade yeah. and Hope I I have them all you know in like watching them go in it's wow. crazy you know it's yeah. wild what science I mean it's just such a beautiful gift I for know. people it, you know and and so what's funny is I'll have a medical assistant doing the ultrasound so I can see which is so crucial to get a good look the the one I do most of them with her name is Emily. Um, and I told her, I'm like, think about like everything that goes in this process, even to get to the starting point, all the, then it's the injections, the procedures, you know, the injections, the visits, ultrasounds, blood tests, right? Procedures, what the lab has to do once we give them the eggs and the sperm and making those embryos and biopsy and testing those embryos and which embryos are normal. And everything comes down to literally maybe... You know, setting everything up is one thing, but the actual time the embryologist is walking into the room with the embryo and the time we release it into the uterus, 20 seconds, 30 seconds max, right? Everything comes down to that. If we were to not do well with that or something goes, you know, doesn't go according to plan, um, it I feel like it ruins everything. Who's calling you? Uh, I have no idea. It's probably a robocall. You should and I answer apologize it. For you that. should answer it. I'm not answering oh, this. Oh, why not? Robo- okay, yeah, I'm going to answer this yeah, one. Yeah, you should. Okay. okay. Hello? Are you sure? Wait, who's this, please? Oh, hey, how are you? So there's no more, like, 
octo moms out there, right? No. Okay, no. so so you you have no doctors now can't say, well, let's just try to put three in or no. let's put try. No one does that anymore. Nobody does that anymore. Nobody should be doing that. Now remember, there's just because there's like 500 practices in the country that do submit their data to this national organization called the Society of Assisted Reproductive Technologies. Right? They're under ASRM, the American Society of Reproductive Medicine. There's a lot of practices that just don't engage in any of that, and they just practice the way they practice. There's no uh, you know, there's no one watching them. They're not held to any uh, standard, for lack of a better term, because they're not submitting their rates. So I'm sure there's people out there who are sort of pushing those envelopes. That Octomom thing was just so ridiculous and so unlucky in a way. You know, granted, there was tremendous risk that was taken, but then it was also like so unlucky. So you add it all together and that's perfect, uh, you know, recipe for a national story, which really then set off like like a domino effect of like rules and regs you can't do this can't do that sadly uh you know you hate rules and regs for anything when they're not needed but in this case it's it's a growing field and you got to pull people in you what know? about that crazy male doctor that was using all of his own sperm that's so that's, that's the netflix show right uh-huh. i don't even know like why anybody would want that oh because it's it's almost like a serial killer but in a whole different way like it's a sick twisted like why you would want he he's he probably became a fertility doctor for yeah. that specific reason did you watch um, the show i or is uh, it like too close to home where you're I, like okay i'm a male fertility doctor like i don't want to even be. so i would have watched the show but the it's i think it was called our father yes and that th- that really freaked yeah. me out a little bit yeah, right yeah yeah um so i i don't think i think i just saw the trailer like i'll be honest i can see how i can i see the story play out right like mm-hmm. like okay so he uses his own sperm why he's probably nuts who knows right yeah um, I can't think of any reason why anybody would do that. Um, but I also feel like it's one of those things where, um, I mean, there's got to be some pathology there. I think there's some pathology there, and they happen to be a fertility provider. Yeah. Right? It's I don't, I hope to not, I hope to God it's not like you're a fertility provider and therefore you did this. Oh, no. Right? God, so, no, 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 no. Um, it's scary stuff, though. But, you know, patients ask about it. Um, this today I, I did they ask a, about what? Like they'll make some comments. Like, You're sure that's my husband's sperm, right? And, <laughs> and I get it. So today I um and I, and you know I personally feel like maybe it's wrong when you're so sure of yourself or so sure of something you can joke about it, right? Right. So today I did a seven week two day pregnancy scan um, on a patient, and I remember um, it measured seven weeks, four days. The, the, the crown rump length of the early fetus did, and the heartbeat was great. This husband is like six feet, four inches tall, and he's standing like right there, you know, five feet away from me in the room. And I'm like, yeah, two days ahead. I'd expect that from a tall guy like you. And then the wife goes, oh, well, that's – she's like, would you see that already? And I'm like, probably not, but at least it – it's a, it's a greater likelihood that we use the right sperm, oh which which God. which I was just joking with. But you them, know what? Right? This is what I love about you. You have right. such a demeanor that, like, you probably get yourself in trouble sometimes. I think it's yeah hilarious. Like that to me is really funny. Like, do you get yourself in? Like, well, do, you, do I, you ever do foot and mouth? Uh, with I would say more than if you ask my wife, she's like, "When is your foot not in your mouth?" Um, I think I do, you know, but I'll tell you this. I think I do. But I think it's never ill intention. No. It's more just like, you know, there was a tension in the room. I mean, she was almost in tears when I walked in the room because she was so nervous. Is there going to be a heartbeat? Right. But it looked great. It looks yeah. great. You know, some of it's just like, you know, <laughs> and it's and like I said, you get attached to people. You get there's yeah. a, there's a and sometimes maybe I'm the one who gets attached more than they do. And they're like, dude, you're just you're just a doctor. Leave the jokes out of it. Just. Give us, you know, <laughs> bye bye. So um, I think some of that is just, uh, you know, um, being maybe feeling too familiar with people at times, right? But at the same time, I I hope if I've ever offended anyone, first off, most people they probably if they're offended they don't say anything because they're so nice. They're like, oh, you know, whatever, you know, they're just happy with the news, whatever. But um, I would say if I have, if you're listening to the show, it is not not intentional and certainly not coming from a bad place i was just going to say would you like to offer a blanket apology to all those whom you've offended over over time (laughs) in so many ways in every way 
Um, I personally like you have an in like you have a, a like you you say things or like the way I describe you. I'm like I first of all I started with I love Dr. Jane like Aww. he is so good. I mean you, you just have such a you just have a good bed you mean well you have a good bedside manner. I'm like sometimes he'll say things that will be in his inside voice but they come out his outside voice. <laughs> so you have to just kind of be able to bob and weave and if you're hyper emotional and he says something that should be in his inside voice. You may have to take a couple of deep breaths and just know that was supposed to be like state in here in this little area. Yeah. Well, I, I will full disclosure. I feel I was told in my first year when I was practicing in Chicago, a tremendous staff there. I learned so much over there. My first year out of fellowship, one of the nurses there told me, I think I had like a, some run of like 13 or 14 straight, like successful pregnancies from transfers. Right. So it was like, here's me like right out of training first six seven months out right and like i'm on this roll and i'm like this is the i'm the greatest thing since sliced bread everything's perfect right like whatever number 15 or 16 whatever it was it was a negative test and i remember feeling so bad about it and i called the patient and i was like really i was genuinely upset and one of the nurses she's been doing this for about 10 years pulled me aside and said you know dr jane you have to be more like dr so-and-so who doesn't get emotional about this stuff because it you won't survive. Now, this was in 2007, right? Like 2008, early 2008. Um, and I would say the only thing that probably keeps me wanting to get up and do this every day is is the emotional connection that you have to it. It's there's no other reason that I would really want to do it. You know, you mentioned money in the earlier in our conversation. We all, I mean, we all want to get paid for the job mm -hmm. we do, right? But like, I don't get up in the morning thinking I can't wait to make whatever it, whatever in a day I would make, right? Like, it doesn't matter. Like, see, it, if it, I were you, I'd be like, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> this is what I'm gonna make Monday. Ding. <laughs> then what you think? Well, oh yeah, I'd be, I'd be calculating that shit on the way to work, like. But can I tell you something? <laughs> you, and you know this. You're going to want to do better the next day and the next yes. day and the next week and the next month. And then the year to year graph that you look at, oh, I want to whatever. And that's good. That, that's a sign of, I guess, working hard and development and growth and all that stuff. That doesn't necessarily reflect success in terms of like baby success, right? Mm -hmm. Doesn't necessarily success. It doesn't really reflect like I personally feel like you would it would takes the joy out of it. I think the best way to put it is most physicians would say we're very fortunate to be in a field where you're where you, hopefully you love it, you're doing good, and you don't have to worry about money, right? Like it's one thing if you're doing it for the money, that's going to get really old really fast, right? Because mm -hmm. it's usually not something that you can, uh, for, for lack of a better term, like scale, right? To be like, okay, I'm seeing blank number of patients a day. I'm going to scale that to whatever. Okay, there is a limit. Now, you, you can't really, you can get physicians, assistants, and nurse practitioners, and but and that's great. I use them. Uh, two tremendous physicians' assistants that, you know, been with me now for two years now. Um, uh, you know, and, and you can grow things that way, but that's business growth, and it might be financial growth, but I just don't, I don't know if you get that daily joy in what you do from that. I'm not saying those are bad things. Those are great things. And the people who do them well can do them. There's fertility doctors that have national businesses that are, if you want to use money as a sign of success, they're second to none, right? But on the flip side, this daily connection that we make with people, right? Each embryo transfer, I think I had four embryo transfers this afternoon, right? Before I came here today and, um, I expect all four to work. I, you know, I'll be really upset next Wednesday if only three worked. Yeah. Or if less than three worked. I'll it's, be, I'll, it's like I'll only be happy if all four worked. Right. But on the other hand, it's, I can see where if you let the emotion get into it too much, it, it can wear you down. But going back to how this conversation started about like, you know, I'll think about like, you made the comment about like, hey, do you put your foot in your mouth sometimes and, you know, say things. It's like you do, I do, because I also, I kind of wear it on my sleeve and I kind of just, you know, I really enjoy what we do and the connection we make with patients. And I, if I, I, I could never be like that professorial, uh, you know, 
you know, the, you know, the physician that only says the bare minimum. And like, I'd oh like to God. see you try because that'd be really funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's so Wait, good. By the way, when you say slides, you they mean just like slide shoes. In. Yeah, oh, they just slide slip-ons. In. Hang out. Just stick with me. I'll get you with all the lingo. You know, I'm impressed that you are as up on lingo as as you are. I, mean, I don't know if you should be impressed or or uh, alarmed. Why? Who knows? Because I'm a, you know, over here. I, I don't know what what what's happening over here. Well, you, know? you mean you know your kids? They're too young to realize it now, but they're like a super cool mom. Like hey. you'll be one of the cool moms that kind of you know keeps them. We will see. We will see. Well, I appreciate you coming in. This has All been my pleasure. This has been just a joy. You're busy. I know you have lives to create, so thank you for spending, you know, 60 minutes with I me. I was all my pleasure. And I plan on, believe me, you're coming back. You're, this ain't the last well, time your you, ass I, will be I, in this seat. I would love to do like an OBGYN fertility doctor thing with Dr. Shepard. We're going to do, cool yeah, we're going to do a threesome with Chef Dog. She's coming in uh, in two days. I'll, I'll lube her up, <laughs> get her ready to go. Where's, okay. I meant <laughs> lube in the, you know, like get her, get her, Drunk, you know. Buzzed? <laughs> Don't, when, when people say lubed up, don't they mean like kind of like? Yeah, I just meant I greased the skids with Chef Dog to say, oh. do you want to do a threesome with Dr. Jane? And I see yeah. this is going nowhere fast. <laughs> and with that, if you're still following your girl, please follow me on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, keep moving. Thank you. Aww. How fun. That was fun. I just, can I wear these in life? Can I just walk around? <laughs> And like talk to people and only hear them through this. This is amazing.